0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Tension Podcast, where we acknowledge that most of life and faith is lived in the tension between the two extremes. On this show, we're going to look at what many of us were taught growing up in evangelical churches, weigh it against what our current culture is saying, and try to find what Jesus has for us in the tension between the two. We have Matt. met, my name is Jonathan Kron, and we're joined as always by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people.
1: Oh man, I you know what, if you clicked into this after reading the description uh, more power to you. Cause this is, this might, this might be a nerd out episode, but it's kind of like that restaurant in your town that has a weird name. And someone's like, no, you got to try it. And then as soon as you go, you're like, oh, it's the best ever, you know, or, you know, you, Jonathan, you're from the South. You know, it's like, it's like any barbecue restaurant that's named something like fat so-and-so's or whatever. And it's got a weird old name. You know, there's going to be a line out the door around the corner and it's going to be good.
0: So it's going to either be good and the way I the way I uh described this in our notes was it's either going to be like the Amsterdam episode of Ted Lasso where it's hyped up all, all season and then it actually exceeds the hype or it's going to be one of those places where someone hypes it up and it just falls flat and no one ever comes back. And yeah. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's going to be more Ted Lasso-ish. Uh I hope so at least because this is something that is kind of a hot button soapbox ish for me.
1: So you're saying it could be like that meme video. I don't know if you've seen it yet where it's like, I can't believe I spend $80 on this or at the restaurant. It's like uh, a, a, I don't know, some piece of like tortilla or something. And they bring out, they bring out a wine glass with like pasta and cheese in it and they dump it over and it's got the Parmesan at the bottom of the wine glass and they sprinkle it on. It's like <laughs>
0: the lamest
1: where it's like, Oh, someone thought this would be good presentation that we're going to pay 80 bucks for Mac and cheese out of a wine glass. And you're like, what the heck was that
0: it's going to be one crazy. of the two and we'll find out okay. about 45 minutes which one it'll be hey so. i still
1: like mac and cheese so you put mac and cheese and some parmesan <laughs> on top of it that's fine let's go and this podcast is free so you didn't even pay for it so let's go
0: yeah it's just time. most of you are listening on like 1.5 speed so it's really gonna yeah. be 30 minutes instead of 45 so <laughs> all right let's get into it today's content a lot of it is going to be pulled from a book called misreading scripture with individualist eyes by two guys named Randolph Richards and Richard James. So I'm gonna do my best to credit them as we go through when I pull out their ideas, but they deserve so much of the credit for today's episode and you should go read and buy that book. With that said, like we're only touching the the top layer stuff here. We don't have time to get into the deep depths of collectivism and what it looks like and all the things we miss. We're not gonna get into kinship. We're not gonna get to shame honor. We're not gonna get into patronage. So if you're looking for all that stuff, we just don't have time for that today. Think of today as like a collectivism 101 class or like any of those survey classes you took your freshman sophomore year of college where it's super surface level to see if you want to dive in more. That's what today is. And so, for
1: those of you that are like me, just listening to Jonathan list off all those things and going like those sound like words that I don't know what they mean. <laughs> I'm gonna be your I'm gonna be your guide. Okay. So you just you stick with me on this one, okay? You let Jonathan and the uh and the individualism, collectivism, 504 nerds, go ahead. And then we're, we'll, <laughs> we'll be the ones that are still drinking our way
0: around Epcot, if you know what I'm saying. There, there are <laughs> – I don't often get into the weeds of faith stuff. Like, I try to live – Like I, I know the weeds. I understand the weeds. I just don't like to live down there. But this is one of the ones that I have found so important over the last couple of years that has kind of shifted and shaped the way I view scripture and the way I view my faith that um it probably, it, you know, how everybody has that one thing they're super nerdy about. Yeah. And like Eric, you were telling me before we got on here, like you got hit in the face with a softball two days ago. I did. So like, like softball is your thing. Skiing is your thing. Like you love those yeah. two things. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, things where I can mine is myself. apparently love that. mine is apparently announcing high school baseball games and collectivism. Like apparently those are my two big and Ted Lasso. Those have been my two big things this spring or three big things. Sure.
1: Hey, you know what? As I used to say in the old United Methodist church that I first went to when I was in high school is that there's a place in God's choir for every
0: voice. Okay. So you got (laughs) to have a thing. This, this voice just might be off key. So we'll see. All right. So here's what we're talking about today so that you can understand what we're going for. On one side of this tension, you have the individualistic culture here in America. And we'll define that more in a minute as we introduce both tensions. On the other side of the tension, you have the fact that the Bible was written to a culture of collectivists, and we'll define that in a few minutes as well. So because of that, because we're living in a different type of culture than what the Bible was written to, there is a lot of scripture that gets misinterpreted and misapplied because we filter it through our individualistic culture and lens that we live in today. Here's another way to say that that might help you understand. There was a lot of context in biblical writings that went without being said. Mm. The authors of the text assumed that people knew what they were talking about because they were writing in their context. So think about the things when you talk with your friends or your spouse or whoever it is that you don't feel like you have to explain every single time. That's the books of the Bible. So here is an example of what I'm talking about with that when we make assumptions that people will naturally understand, Eric, I'm going to Atlanta to watch a baseball game soon. Uh When I say that you automatically assume who is playing that you're going to watch a Braves game because you know, the Braves play in Atlanta. It's just part of your culture. You understand that innately, right? If I were to say that to someone from Italy or Germany, they wouldn't have or a clue anywhere
1: else outside of our hemisphere that they don't care about baseball.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. it's just are things Like, but if I said, Hey, Eric, I'm going to watch a soccer game in Frankfurt. You have no clue who uh, plays in Frankfurt.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not so much. But here's the other thing now to go to your point too, is a thousand years from now, somebody going back and trying to mind for the context Would go, would see that line says, Jonathan says, I'm going to Atlanta to watch baseball game. And they would know that, well, first of all, the Atlanta Braves aren't actually in Atlanta. They're in Cobb, what Cobb County, wherever. Anyway, they're, they're outside of, of the Atlanta metro. Number one, number two, there is another baseball team, the Gwinnett stripers in the Atlanta area. And so there's a number of ways that you can misinterpret it in hindsight because you're, you can look up the information or you can try to glean something that. Colloquially, I use a big word there. Uh huh. You and I would know because in this context now, if I said I'm going to Atlanta to watch a baseball game, we're both Braves fans. We know about it. I know you're going to go watch the Braves. I don't. I don't go. Oh, Atlanta, huh? Do you mean Cobb County or do you mean Gwinnett? Right. Like I'm not going to ask those questions and I'm not going to assume those things because we have that understanding. And even somebody outside that would be looking in might misinterpret the, uh, you know, might misinterpret the information even if they looked up the facts again, which are that there are multiple baseball teams within the Atlanta metro area. And the one that you're talking about isn't technically in Atlanta. So those are all different ways that we end up, you know, crossing the wires contextually
0: looking this stuff up. With good intentions too. That's yes, the thing. Exactly. Like we're, we're, we're not saying there's anything nefarious going on here right? or that there's anything toxic or anything like that. It's just right. We're 2000 years removed. So they are exactly. going in a totally different culture. So there are going to be some misinterpretations. So what we're going to do next is we're going to dive into individualism a little bit. We're going to dive into collectivism a little bit, and then we're going to come together and talk about how we need to live in that tension. So to define individualism, let's get into that. Members of an individualistic culture typically think of their identity as the sum of their individual attributes, their own personality traits, and their personal achievements. These are the things that define who we are and how we see ourselves and how we see other people. We focus on fulfilling our own potential. We seek to be independent, autonomous, and able to provide for ourselves and our immediate family. It's all about us. It centers around us as the individual, and we look at other people as their own individual self. We make independent decisions and then we bear those responsibility of those choices, personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. for ourselves so that's what individualism looks like Eric I know I'm kind of the teacher you're kind of the listener in this in this sense so as I describe that, what are you hearing about individualism?
1: Yeah, it sounds very much like that is what we see as like a foundation or a key component of what we would call the American dream right because if you think about it any any of those immigrants, Stories or anything else like that is like you can go from wherever your society was and you can make it here in America. I mean, you think about all the all the uh musicals that have that, like you know, even from uh West Side Story, the song America, right, is is very there's this individualistic side to it. Um, from Hamilton, where it goes like in New York, you could be a new man, like you can do these things individually, you could pull yourselves up by the bootstraps, you can, doesn't matter you know, where you came from. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter the collective you're coming out of. You are a unique individual that can come and make this, uh, make this happen. I I think the other thing is there's a big sense of like looking out for number one, you know, that we hear in society a lot today. Like, well, I'm going to look out for myself. You know, you think about at the center of who matters to me is me, my family,
0: my neighbors, my, my my nuclear family. Let's make that distinction. So like me, my spouse and my children.
1: Yep. Yeah, and I mean, you would like have a different level of, you know, protection or um, a different level of bias towards me first and my needs, my spouse and my kids second, and then,
0: you know, kind of opens up from there. And because I I know some people may think this as they hear it, what we're describing is not inherently bad. Individualism is is not net negative from the get go. As uh, Eric, you mentioned this last season on one of the episodes where you talk about like it's the amount of consumption that becomes toxic when, oh, like, yeah. with, with the, anything. It's,
1: it's the dose. Yeah. The toxicity is in the dose. Anything is toxic. It just depends on how much of it. You know, I uh, I like could talk about water. You, you could drink a toxic amount of water that will kill you.
0: Yeah. So w- when we describe individualism, th- these aren't negative things on their own. So please don't hear this episode is not saying that american individualism is bad by nature it's just we got we have to describe these things that you understand where we're going with it what uh one of the things that stuck out with me in that book uh and scripture with individualistic eyes is they quoted a guy named dutch he's a dutch social psychologist let's go i'm ready for name. this one uh-huh yep <laughs> i think it's geert Hofstede. okay is the way they say. Okay. It, i think but yeah. sounds good to me but our friend geert he measured individual, he's going to be after the Jerry Falwell and Mark Driscoll episode uh, that we teased <laughs> in the bonus episode a couple of months ago. But yeah, uh, we'll have gear on then.
1: Yeah, he we'll measured
0: individualism on. and collectivism across people from 53 nations. He found the three most individualistic nations in the world were the United States, Australia, and Great Britain. Their scores weren't just the, for, the furthest left of the global norm they were actually more than double it. Mm-hmm. In other words, the global norm or the baseline, the standard, is more similar to the ancient and modern and modern Mediterranean cultures than our Western culture. Yeah. So, Eric, when you hear that idea that we are more than double yeah. in terms of individualistic, the global norm, both currently and historically,
1: yeah. what
0: does that say to you about our current culture?
1: Uh, well, first of all, uh, we're number one, baby. We're number 1, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, screw you other countries. Heck yeah. And I mean, you know, uh ex ex-girlfriend who's now our BFF Great Britain. Um yeah, okay. Great. Cool. And the- Australia, yeah, you know, they we're kind of cousins. We're the fun cousins at the at the get-together. You know, when you get together family reunion and it's like you gravitate towards the fun cousins. It's always like Canada, Australia, Great Britain, those are the fun cousins everyone else is
0: like "Ah, uh germany's over in the corner We're like man you had a weird phase a couple years ago yeah
1: you're like second cousin third time removed oh they're technically dad's cousin anything no but seriously i i think there is this little bit of like well yeah that's what makes america the greatest nation in the world is we are unique and we are this and we are that and it's all this kind of like stuff that the other other countries would look at as ugly americanism and i forget i forget the movie
0: but uh there, there's hang on, a movie hang on, let me where, interrupt you but it's also yeah. the thing that people say that's why people come here right because yep. the you can make it anywhere the individual they're leaving these collectivist cultures and coming here because they desire to live on their own and to make it themselves
1: right and so there was this this movie um which i'm looking at very very quickly uh to figure that out oh oh yeah yeah yeah. so in the movie head of state which i think uh had uh um What's his name? Had uh Chris Rock in it. You know, it was like this, they were doing this uh, political, it was a presidential election thing. And the other, like the Republican guy, his his sign-off was, you know, because you always hear the the candidates go, God bless America. He said, God bless America and nowhere else, right? And no place else. <laughs> so it's it's very funny, but it's like it's funny because there's a hint of truth in it where the um the American evangelical individualistic side to our nation is like, yep, God bless America, manifest destiny, all of this sort of thing. God bless America and no place else. And this sort of survey just cements it that America and those who think like us are the ones that are going to be better. And we've just defined better as those like us. So it's a circular reasoning that if you're like us, you're better because you're like us, you know, which is like such a logical fallacy. But But I have to admit, like as soon as you said it, I was going, "Yeah, we're number one, baby. That's right. Suck it," you know. (laughs) But but yeah, definitely. There, it it tells me that the way that we read, if we bring it back to this to to our faith, the way that we read scripture is going to be, let's just say, in the most neutral way possible. It's going to be significantly different than most of the other countries in the world. And based on this, it's going to be different as, as your original thesis, it's going to be different than the original audience would have taken it. Whether that means good or bad, I don't necessarily, I can't say that for sure, because I know it's like, well, you know, God uses the scripture can, contextually for all of us, and it's going to read us and blah, 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 blah. Like I get that argument, but at the same time, we have to at least intellectually admit that like, oh no, 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 we are, we are the weird ones reading it this way. And if you've ever gone on a mission trip or gone to any other Christian, you know, nation that's that has a Christian following outside of Western culture, you know, that we are
0: the weird ones. So with that being said, the other side of the tension is collectivism and people in collectivist cultures define who they are in relation to others. The, The where we would say, Hey, Eric, I'm Jonathan. You can trust me they would say, says who? Because the community as a whole decides who is trustworthy and what is expected of others. So it's not just a, an individualistic idea. So collectivist people understand their identity from the group they're a part of. In the book, Richards and James write, it's about identity, which is why people in collective societies live their lives oriented toward their group. They seek to make personal decisions in the interest of their group. They value interdependence, social harmony, and the group welfare. They make collective decisions as a group. So when you hear that, did that strike you as foreign hearing that as it did me when I first started researching this idea?
1: Yeah. And actually, the funny thing is, like, my kids, so I've got, you know, 10 and 11, they're asking questions. and. They're asking me a question about who is the, my last name is Williams. They said, who, who was the first Williams, right? And it's like, Williams is a super common name. And it usually comes from like Williams son, which means that like, I had to tell them like the first Williams was someone that was Williams son, because back in these times, you didn't really have a last name. You know, it would have been Eric, Gary's son or son of Gary, you know, Jonathan, son of Jay jay you know what i mean like that's how you identified because you identified based on your clan or your group or that sort of thing and so it was like oh you're a part of that group that's how i get that that level of trust um very foreign at the same time i think we have collectivist pockets in our society now so like if i were to name you know when i talk to anybody around here where i live and I name where I live, like the neighborhood I live. They go, oh, okay, immediately they understand. Or, you know, for some people, it's like the college that you went to, or, you know, anything else. like for you, Jonathan, if you say, I went to Liberty, immediately that associates you with a group, good or bad, right? And like that's immediately where you go, okay, I can either trust you or not trust you based on that. And so, even though we are an individualistic society as a whole, I would say that we utilize this collectivist idea. To our advantage when we want to. So when it's like, "Hey, I voted for blank," you're going to say that around a certain group of people, and you're probably not going to say it around another group of people. Yep. You know, and those sorts. You want to be a part because, of that group. Yeah, you want to be a part of that group. You want to be accepted into that group, or you're going to like, you're going to use group dynamic language and shorthand when you want to enter into a group. And it even comes down to, I mean, you've used these examples before too, where it's like. If you're an adult at the park with kids and you see another adult at the park, you guys probably bond over what? Kids, you know, because it's like, what else are we going to we're talking about our kids. We need to at least that's an in that we have. And then we can go from there and talk about our individual nature. We start from the collective and then break down to the individual.
0: Another way this plays out in our current society is in minority groups. Think about how we look at the black community. Or the Asian community, or whatever the local minority group is where you have, or where you live, oftentimes these communities, you know, especially the older generations inside those communities, they band together and operate with the collective group at the forefront. They—it's almost like this is charged. I don't mean it to be charged, but they almost police themselves. There's some things within the group that, like, hey, we're going to take care of ourselves. Like in my area, so it's—it's not minority. It's—it's all white, but there are areas in my County that is so rural that it is like the community of Westfield. They're going to police themselves. They're going like the crime rate is so low there. A because it takes forever for the sheriff's deputies to get out there. Cause they live in the middle of nowhere, but B they take care of it themselves because Jim Bob knows Joe. And if Jim Bob's son is screwing up, And doing something and messed up Joe's property. Joe's going to go talk to Jim Bob, and they're going to figure something out together without getting the law involved. And so it's kind of a collectivist idea there.
1: And you hear the you hear the language: we got to take care of our own, or we blanks have to stick together. Whatever that blank is, that collective blank, you know, because it's like uh, I imagine even yeah, Jonathan. If you 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 go out to California, you hear somebody else with an accent like yours. All of a sudden, it's like oh someone from the south, right? I get it. My uh my wife's family is all, you know, Ohio State fans and they're big into that. And like when we would go on vacation with them and we'd go down to Florida or whatever, it's like if you see an Ohio State flag or someone says OH, everyone else I-O. who identifies with it was IO, just like, you know, Roll Tide, War Eagle, all that sort of stuff. They're they're different pieces where it's like you know you got to stick together or like you said earlier, you trust that person because of whatever affiliate
0: collective affiliation you have. So those are examples of like collectivist groups. I want to give you an example of a collectivist culture or society. So you can kind of see uh, as we transition into the tension, the tension we live in uh, and how the Bible was written to a collectivist society. I recently saw a video on TikTok of an American family in Japan. They were in one of the big cities in Japan. And in the video, they said they kept seeing these young kids, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, riding the subway on their own, walking down the street by themselves, going to the store at night on their own with no parents or adults in sight. And this kept this was weird to them. I and mean, as an American, I'm like, as someone who has an eight year old and a six year old, like, there's no mm-hmm. way I'm putting them on a subway by themselves. There's yeah. like I don't love them walking up the street by themselves right now yeah. in our in our current culture. And so I can't sure. imagine this idea. So these Americans asked their tour guide what was up with all these kids walking around. And the local tour guide told them that the community in that city had collectively decided that children were to be protected and valued. So it was expected that you look out for any child you saw who was doing something on their own. And they even took it to the level of certain ages and certain kids would wear these bright yellow hats And that was so that they could be seen easier in crowds where you think like, if we send our kids out, we want them to blend in so that, so no one notices them. They want the children to be seen because it is a collective decision that, Hey, if you see someone with a yellow hat, you know, that's a child, you know, they are to be protected. You know, if they're struggling with anything, you are to help them. You are to make sure they get what they need and they get home safely and securely without getting hurt. But that was a collective decision that was made by the people in that society because the Japanese are a very collectivist society. Sure.
1: And what's interesting to me is I hear that, you know, as I hear you talk about that. Um, and again, going through this lens of like, well, the United States or America is an individualistic society. And I think, I think most of our, uh, at least the the demographic, our listeners would come from would identify with like, whether you, whether you would say you want this or not, like, okay, America leans individualistic. And we saw that that survey says so. Don't we always, though, hear or we tend to hear this um, this romanticizing the collectivism of our past or the collectivism gone by? Because I think like, you know, this we're living in, in a rural area or if you're in a small town or something else like that. It's like, what do you hear the older generation say? Or what do you hear the people that have gone from small town into big cities? And they say like, oh man, I remember, you know, where we used to live here or when we used to be like, nobody ever locked their doors. Or as a kid, I was out all afternoon or every summer I was gone from sunup to sundown and my parents didn't even know where I was. And you know, it was like, yeah, that sounds a lot like what you're talking about with Japan. Like there was a more collectivist society. You know, My dad used to talk about how like the, back when he was a kid. The, the milkman, the doors were open. The milkman came into their house and literally put the milk in their, in their refrigerator or their icebox and like came out. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, could you imagine that today? If I know Amazon was, was messing around with some of that technology, but geez, no, no, no way is that DoorDash are coming inside and putting my stuff on the counter, you know, not happening. So it is, I think we're transitioning into what that tension actually looks like for us. But even in that spot where we go, yep, I value this or yep, I value this, I think, we have a natural tension because we want to have both, while at the same time we, we want find... to have autonomy,
0: but we want to be a part of a group.
1: Yes, exactly. And actually, I heard a, I heard a, I heard a marriage, count, uh, marriage and family like therapist, TED talker person. She talked about that. She said it's a lot like a marriage because it's such a unique dichotomy between. The individualistic nature of you as an individual who still wants to be a part of something uh, greater. So, as a spouse, you're like, I want to be my own individual person, but yet at the same time, I choose to lay a lot of that stuff down in order to be a part of the greater, you know, family dynamic.
0: So, without getting too deep into that, like family dynamics thing, I do want to give an example just so. If you're not following, you can pull this together. Think about the story in the Bible when Jesus stays back behind at the temple when he's 12 years old. So many of us grow up and we hear that story and we're like, how the heck did Mary and Joseph not realize till they got back home that Jesus wasn't with them or with them? And it's because the collectivist nature of their familiar units and the people around them, like they trusted the people that they knew to take care of the kids. And so there was an assumption that, oh, he's around here somewhere, he's safe. And we'll see him when we get home. And that was just a normal assumption that goes against what our American, British, Australian individualism thinks of. So that's just, as you think about how they operated back then, that is a one example of that collectivism.
1: And even when you think about like the early church in in the book of Acts, like it is a radical thought for like, oh, everybody, you know, shared their belongings and nobody had any like here in our capitalistic society of the United States, we'd be like, Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? They're talking about communism, and socialism. Blah, blah. Whereas like, I don't think, I, I mean, you probably know more than I do, but you go back and you're like, no, no, that was, it was almost like that was more assumed, you know, cause that was more natural. There wasn't this sense of personal property that I needed to protect with my, you know, AR 15 and, and everything else like that. Like there wasn't that sense. It was like, Oh yeah. I mean, they would have more of a, collectivist mentality too because also they weren't too far away from barter the barter
0: system you know well in 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 that case again i'm going to try to not get too nerdy here yeah but nerd out buddy it's okay the way (laughs) the way it operated then was you lived in clans within your family Uh and you shared things within the family and you took care of each other within the family and what the early church was showing is that they were not necessarily leaving their families, but they were becoming families in Christ with other clans and other families. And so you were linking up with other believers and sharing things in the, with them in the same way that you would share them with their clan that you lived in, even if they weren't a part of your necessarily direct family or clan. So a clan was a part of a family. So that that's just a, another insight into that
1: for some of you that have been in um, the uh, Israel Palestine area um, you know, if you've ever gone on one of those trips too. like, if you've been into especially the Palestinian side where Christians live, you you know, they take you on little tours and they show you these different family houses where they just build onto the family. You get married and they build onto the family because that's where you live. And so, You know, and we actually see it around here a lot because, you know, I live in New Mexico and there's a lot of multi-generational families based on the culture of the ethnic groups around here. And it's like, you actually see it in house listings where they're talking about the house is set up for a multi-family or multi-generational experience. So it's, it's not as foreign as you think to us, but at the same time, like you think through that and you go, oh yeah, they would have banded together with their family and then when you have families banded together because they're a part of a greater family which is what you see a lot in the in the new testament about talking about how yep, we're part of a we're part of a different kingdom we're part of a different family we're part of a different you know group we're grafted on to a different branch then it's like oh yeah yeah the same thing that i would treat my you know my cousins or my
0: aunts and uncles and my grandparents i would treat you who's not related to me by blood and again if you To understand that even more is to understand collectivism of the culture as a whole and the way that worked, because that will unlock so much more that I just don't have time to get into today. So go read that book and you'll learn more about that. But we do want to take the rest of our time and talk about this tension that we live in between American individualism and the collectivism of the Bible. And I want to start this tension with this acknowledgement. This is not a debate about which culture is better both of them have their pros and cons as we mentioned earlier the toxicity is in the dose if you take individualism and take it all the way out to exceptionalism that is bad if you take collectivism and take it all the way out to communism that is bad so the extremes we talk about on the show all the time the extremes are bad we have to live in a tension here and the other thing i want to get out of the way as a disclaimer is we are not talking about how this applies to government. You can take these ideas and apply them to government in a few different areas. We did an entire season a year or two before the 2022 election that was all about politics and our faith and all, and how to apply to government. So if you want politics, go back to that season. But this is not how you apply these things to politics. We're talking more about how we understand scripture and how we operate as Christians around other people.
1: Yeah. It's, it's super important to remember because, you know, if you think about that, that progression from, Oh, this is what my faith is to, Oh, now we need to create a government based on this. It's like a new thought for me was it, it's as if you go, you know, you think back to the Israelites in, in wandering in, uh in the desert. And it's like, we should worship God. It's like, yes, we definitely should worship God. We should create an idol so that we could worship God. And it's like, no 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 no. No. So there's a line there that to me it's it's like as soon as we start applying this to government or the way that we should we should force others to live is that same line that's drawn between like yes, I need to worship God. Oh, now let's boil down all of our gold and silver and make it into a an idol for us to worship. We start taking we start taking the focus off of the wrong thing. You know, it's like no, this is how we should live, not how we should dictate society from a Legislature, le- legislative, you know, or policing aspect.
0: And we can agree on an idea and disagree on how that idea applies to government. So I'm trying to get all the disclaimers out so that we can actually agree on some stuff and get moving to a better place. Yep. With all that said, collectivism and individualism primarily describe the way people identify and think about the individual person. And there's a tension between how we view that in America and the culture that the Bible was written to. Here's a quote from Misreading Scripture with Individualistic Eyes uh, that sums it up. The Bible is a series of books and letters written by people in collective societies about the lives of people in collective societies, which they intended people of collective cultures to read. The authors assumed their audiences would see collective social systems in the text. It was the air they breathed. Rarely are they mentioned and even more rarely explicitly noted and explained. Yet these values are the background influencing the actions and decisions of the characters. These are hardly the values of our individualistic society. They are fruit of a different tree. Think of it as collectivists were oranges. Individualists are apples. Oranges are amazing. Apples are amazing but they are different. So we cannot apply the same ideas to them. So what that means in practice is as an individualist, it's easy to think the Bible was written to me. The Bible was written to me. I am David in this story. We make that joke all the time around here, but the beginning of the books say who they're written to. This is to the church of Ephesus. These are the people of whatever. But we read the books, we, we glance right over that and read them as if they are a personal letter written to us in our context. And the example I will give you that drives me up the freaking wall is Jeremiah 29 11. People take that as a personal promise to themselves that God has a plan for them to prosper. It was written to a group of people in exile who didn't even live until the time that the group of people prospered because it happened decades and decades later. Mm -hmm. So there is a tension we have to live in to where, okay, does, in theory, does God have plans for my life? Yes. Yes. Are they to prosper?
1: Uh, Are they, well, let's say this. Are they my definition of prospering? Correct, yeah. Not necessarily. So there,
0: we have to we have to live in that tension of like this was written to people that we're pulling principles about the character of our God that we worship. They yeah, they weren't and then necessarily we up, written directly to us. and We end up taking proof
1: texting, you know, where you like go and you go, oh, see, see, this is it, you know, because I hear it all the time in Philippians two twelve, where it's like you have to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. And so I it's like, oh, see, this is a personal thing. And this idea, even this idea of a personal relationship with God is much more modern and Western than than we want to admit.
0: Oh, that's almost like it was a segue. Did you do mm-hmm. that on purpose? Mm-hmm. I'm very proud of you for that. Like, I, 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 I didn't see that one coming, but it was, it was a really good, really good segue that I'm ruining by talking about it being a segue. Hey, you
1: know what? Every time a blind nut finds a squirrel every once in a while. <laughs> so it's <that's> okay.
0: <laughs> so. What Eric is getting at is that when we read the Bible in the English translation, we assume that any place there is the word you, it is talking about the first person singular version of Mm. you being the individual and not the plural version of it. Yeah. I'm going to give you some examples here. I'll just give you one that, that really helps in this case. I'm a Southerner and this is how I make sense of this. First Thessalonians five, sixteen to eighteen. It says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's really easy with our individualistic assumptions based on the culture that we live in to assume that God's will for me is to do this. We read the you as singular. Yep. In the context it was written, you is plural. It actually says, "You all should think, should rejoice always, pray constantly, everyone give thanks and everything." For this is God's will for y'all in Christ Jesus. Oh y'all! The passage say, "Oh y'all, all 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 y'all." Yeah, it's not to say that the passage can't be applied personally, but it was Mm -hmm. written in context of a group to a group to be applied as a group, and we have to acknowledge that. When we're reading the Bible, because it changes the way we read it.
1: I, you know, what I would even say too, when you're doing this, whether it's a Southern thing and putting in y'all or all y'all, or uh, just read the the title of the chapter. It's Thessalonians. So why don't you just say, "You Thessalonians should rejoice always," right? It's God's will for you Thessalonians in Christ Jesus. Like in context, that's how it would have been written.
0: Because remember, they didn't have a printing press. They didn't have the Bible on their phone. There was one copy that was read as a group. So it was written to a group. Uh, They didn't even have a Bible. Right. (laughs) It was just a letter. This was a letter. And when the authors of these letters that eventually became to be the Bible, when they wrote them, they wrote it with the assumed idea the audience belonged to a certain group. Ephesians was written assuming it was to the church in Ephesians, not just the people of Ephesus. It was not to be applied to the people at large. It was a it was a letter to the church in Ephesus. So the group within a larger group with all of their issues understood. Yeah. So like
1: uh, essentially all all of you believers in Thessalonica. Right. That you should be rejoicing always. That's that's the context here. Um, and side note that relates to uh, earlier seasons of a previously named podcast that we did. Uh, sometimes Paul would even send these letters uh, with women who would read these out loud and therefore teach to that congregation. Go back and check out that episode if you want to learn more. That was season six.
0: Um, we've talked a lot about theory, and I, i've I've given you some big picture ideas, and we're almost forty minutes into this, so I want to kind of turn to some practical application here so that we can see how this tension and this shift in how we read things can be applied to our actual life.
1: This is Jonathan's the version idea of, you, for those of you that live in the South and you listen to your preacher and they say, as I close, as soon this is him saying, as <laughs> I close. Okay, so just so you know.
0: <laughs> the band's going to come up in a minute and there's going to be a pad <laughs> playing below us. I I should put like some pad behind us when I edit this, but I'm not going to. Yeah. Okay. Eric, you mentioned a minute ago, the idea of a personal relationship with Jesus being a a new concept. Mm -hmm. And that would have been totally foreign to a large part of the new Testament and the audience that this was written to, because in these cultures and collectivist cultures today, the family as a whole, especially when it comes to religion, the family as a whole would come together and they would hear the gospel as a group. And then collectively they would decide if they were going to believe it or follow it. And they would defer to the elders of the group and elders being those who were older to decide, is this worth believing and following? That's why in today's culture, even sending missionaries to Japan, to places in Africa, places in the middle East or in Latin America, it's not just going, that's why people have to go over there and learn the culture first. Because the culture, like, if you just send a missionary to go evangelize the way we evangelize in the West, you're not going to get anywhere and you're going to see no results whatsoever because it's not a personal relationship with Jesus in collectivist societies. It is things done as a family. And we see that in scripture when we start looking at it with this lens. Look at uh, Cornelius in uh, with Peter in Acts 10 when he says that your entire family will be saved.
1: Look at Joshua and Joshua 24. I mean, this is the thing that you probably have in your Ray Dunn or your script, you know, thing in your living room in most areas in the South. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Like he, he was talking about his entire clan, like his entire group. He's like, you guys do whatever you want, but we have decided collectively as our group, we are going to ser- serve the Lord.
0: And that group was not two adults, two kids and a dog. That yeah. group was hundreds of people. And so. Yeah. It was this collective idea. We were going to do this together. In Acts 16, we see the conversion of Lydia. Uh, Acts 16, 15 says, and after she was baptized and her household as well, what went without being said in the story was that Lydia and her entire household, they heard from Paul and Timothy, and then they collectively decided to believe in Jesus. Two chapters later, Acts 18, we see Crispus believed in the Lord together with his entire household. They did this as a collective whole. It wasn't just a one individual person. At the same time, we do have examples of singular people coming to faith in Jesus on their own. So there is a tension that we have to look at when it comes to this. They operated differently. The audience was different than it is now.
1: I I think another thing to point out too, is like, it would be interesting. And this is just me off the cuff. So, I mean, you know, as opposed to me, well thought out, which never happens, but like, think (laughs) through, I, I would be interesting, John, Jonathan, you know, as we go through is like, as you read some of these examples, I think it was also probably given to a specific group for a specific purpose. So like, if you think about the Ethiopian eunuch, that's one example I can think of off the top of my head where it was an individual saved you know converted whatever you want to talk yeah coming to faith on his own well probably the intent of that is to show that he was alone because as a eunuch you wouldn't have a family and you would would be impossible yeah it'd be impossible for you to have a family or a clan or anything else you would only be connected to whoever it was that you served as a servant and now that story of an individualistic faith is saying, hey, you are now part of the collective. You are now part of, you know, (laughs) you are one with the Borg. Like you are now assimilated into a bigger group, right? Whereas some of these others were giving examples of whole families um, that were being saved because that was much more, you know, ubiquitous for the time.
0: You think about the the amount of attention that was spent in the New Testament talking about how Christ died for Jew and Gentile. Mm Mm-hmm. The eunuch would be a smaller version of that because it is showing that not only is it Jew and Gentile, but it is also the people that collectively we have decided are less than Jesus died for that person too. So that person is now invited to be in with us in our group under Christ Jesus.
1: And I think when you think about what Paul said to the Galatian church in uh, or chapter three or whatever, you know, in Galatians, what he talks about, there's, you know, neither Jew nor Greek nor free nor, you know, male, female, all these, these are one Christ Jesus. He's talking about groups of, of different clans, right? Like we identify as clans of Jews. We identify as clans of Greeks. We identify as um, servants or slaves or whatever. We identify as groups of men or groups of women. And you can read this together to say he's gathering up these collective groups of other collective groups to say, hey, bring your clans together and and join in in this one. Right. So we are all part of a greater clan um, together in you're all one in Christ Jesus as a collective. Um, but we read it. If you think about it, we read it of like, what do I identify individually as? Um, I'm a man. And that means like, oh, there's no like difference between man hierarchy, woman hierarchy, or, you know, we're trying to say like, don't ostracize other people. Like we use that, that verse to say, Hey, don't make an out group. When in reality, it might be a lot more in in this, in this collectivism reading of like, these were groups of collective groups that come together, almost like, uh, like, like in the Olympics. Uh, It doesn't matter what basketball team you root for. Uh, When team USA is out there playing, it you know in on the dream team it didn't matter if you were a hardened the old it's the what makes World
0: team. cup soccer so much fun
1: yeah same thing there like it doesn't matter like you can root for your sworn enemy um because they're still wearing the red white and blue even though when they go back to their club team or their major league team they're on the other side you know like i I I'll admit it I'll admit it in the world baseball classic if Bryce Harper was playing even though he is he is my like i i hate I, I don't use hate a lot but i hate him i would root for him yeah
0: uh, oh I, I almost <laughs>
1: said
0: it. and like but it's, it's that way i want you all listening to this so badly to go just get this book that we're talking about but if not like the first two chapters will completely change the way you understand this because they dive into clans and families and what that looked like If The more you learn about the way families were drawn, the family of Abraham, the family of Isaac, the family of Jake, like all that stuff uh, and the clans and the way that operate, it's going to totally change the way you look at the verses that Eric was just talking about and the context in which they were written. Moving forward. I mentioned earlier (laughs) uh, part three of the close. Yeah, right. I mentioned the plural you, the the y'all or the you all. I want to give some more examples of that just so you can have a practical uh, look at it. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. That should actually be read. He who started a good work in all y'all will carry it on to completion. So it's a good work in the group. It's not necessarily just a personal thing. 1 Corinthians 3:16 Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. Listen to this. Don't y'all know you all are God's temple and the Spirit of God lives in all of you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For those of you who have been hurt by the church, especially those of you who have been hurt by religious leaders who put their own desires and their own person the personal things that they want their own personal power over the church and the needs of the people within the church. This passage of scripture, when read with the collectivist context, it was written in should be highly encouraging. We are all God's temple together and anyone who seeks to take us down will have to face God himself and will be destroyed. The collectivist reading of this is packed with so much more peace and comfort and hope than the individualistic reading of it. Uh, and
1: I I really like, this is, this is revolutionary for me as we're talking about it, because it's like, read that into your faith group or read that into any other group. So first Corinthians six, 19, um, Don't you of First Baptist Church know your body, all of you put together is a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, All of First Baptist Church is not your own. First Baptist Church, everyone in it was bought with a price. Now, let's take it again. Don't you in the American Evangelical Church know that your body, all of you put together is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Oh, my gosh. Like, it's a completely different reading. So I would even like personalize it past y'all. Or in the, you know, if you're taken to a lingo Spanish, Use. ustedes yins. or vosotros, right? If you're or yeah, if Northeast. you're in Pittsburgh, yeah, yins <laughs> take it beyond that and actually put in the your church body, your small group, your family, your whatever, like what's the biggest group that you can think of that you affiliate with? I love that meme that's going around, or at least at the time of recording is going around. It's like, uh you know, if if Paul was around to see the American church, we'd be getting a letter. Yeah. And and like, but I don't think we would need a letter if we applied some of these letters to the American church and we just said, hey, American church, you are not your own. The American church was all bought at a price. So American church, you all glorify God with your collective body. Like if you start reading some of those letters to those different churches that way to your personal congregation or your uh, even your state, your locality, whatever. I think that changes the way that you would want to apply it.
0: Yeah, it changes it from a personal application to a mandate from scripture to take care of the church, to take care of those inside it, especially that 1 Corinthians 6:19 verse, mm-hmm. like to reform it when it needs reforming. Yeah. And to do it as a group not on our own because we are all together.
1: Why do you think there's so much talk about taking care of orphans and widows, because they don't have a clan, because they don't have a collective group. So all of those conversations now, I mean, this is just like, I just just took the, the red pillar, the blue pillar, whatever it was, it's like opening my eyes to go, oh yeah, all of this points
0: towards a collective reading of the Bible. So it is impossible for us to be all about this rugged American individualism where we pull up our bootstraps and take personal responsibility for our own actions. And if everyone just took personal responsibility and did their own thing, it's impossible to follow that and also follow the Bible truthfully and honestly, because the Bible was written in a context to a group of people. If we're going to follow Jesus, honestly, we cannot do this on our own.
1: Wow. That clip on TikTok is going to get you a lot of hate. I'm just going to say that right now. From <laughs> Church. But it's a natural pipeline. We just talked about it. That individualistic view of our religion turns into exceptionalism, where now we say, because that's the slippery slope. Now it's, Uh, because I've done all these things individually, God blesses me or God blesses me because of it. And no, and then that's where you get into the God bless America and no one else. God bless Jonathan's family and no one else. God bless the Atlanta Braves and no one else. And it's like those, those mentalities if taken to that end are toxic and vile. And I believe against scripture. So. I think that we need to do the hard work of rooting that out in us, because I'll tell you what, I've got the seed of individualism and exceptionalism deep inside of, of I am a selfish unlearning. prick, Eric. Oh yeah. I, we're all, we're all mini narcissists walking around. I mean, we, you and I know it as marketers Ding! There it goes. Every single person <laughs> is a self-absorbed narcissist. And that's why marketing works because we're all looking to go, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Then when we take that same lens and apply it to our faith and go, what's in it for me? And then we go, okay, now how can we build structures and systems and uh, churches and um, government structures and legislation and police uh, you know, structures to benefit me? Oh man, that is where it comes from. And so I agree with you. It's like, we need to unroot that so that way we can take a look and go, okay, Um, I need to look at this as a collective culture. So that way um, maybe the analogy would be like your Japan story. The people that are out there, the the young Christians in the faith are just like the children running around and we're going to protect them. The people who are hurt are out there with their yellow hats on and we're going to look out for them and we're going to protect them. And we wouldn't dare to do anything that would violate them that would make them less than, that would abuse them. We wouldn't look at them and say, where are their parents? We would look at them and say, it's my job to help take care of them. And so look at those people that are around you like they're wearing those yellow hats, and it's your job to help protect them as well. I I think that that's, that's ultimately what we need to be called to do.
0: So we just spent 55 minutes on an introduction to collectivism and the way that applies to the Bible. You're welcome. Go out, buy this book, read it, study things on the internet. The more you understand the idea of biblical collectivism and the original context that our scripture that we read was written to, it will change the way not only you read it today, it'll bring you, I think, more hope than looking at it from an individualistic standpoint but it will also significantly change the way you apply it to your personal faith and your collective view of the church. And we're going to get into that a little bit more next week. I'm using this as my transition to the end. As the piano player does come up at this point, he's been standing on the wings waiting for me to shut up uh, for the, and past the kids ministry.
1: Minutes. The kid, the, the kids director, <laughs> they're is just, texting, they're just, texting, they're trying to figure out, like, yeah. How much longer do we how many how many more goldfish crackers can we shove in these kids mouths?
0: So next week we're going to build on this idea. Like everything this season's kind of been building up to this, but then we're going to build on this idea next week because what we know to be true is that about 40% of the people who went to church before COVID either don't go to church or now go to a new church compared to where they went pre-pandemic. And so there is this tension that a lot of people are living in of, Hey, I'm just going to have my personal faith and do it on my own and figure this out. It's just going to be me and Jesus. And we're going to go versus being a part of a group of believers, whether that is in a church, in a house church or whatever it looks like. So we're going to talk about the tension between a personal relationship with Jesus and being in a collective group, following Jesus together and what you should look for when looking for a new church in this context of biblical collectivism. If you want to buy the book, we've got a link for it down in the bio on YouTube and uh, in your favorite podcast platform. If you have any feedback on today's episode or you want to ask questions or get clarification or anything like that, you can connect with us. Eric is at EricW712 on all the major platforms. I am at Jonathan underscore Corona on them as well. You can email us at, at tensionpodcast.com. We'll be glad to answer whatever you need with this topic because I know for many people, it's something you haven't thought of before. If you like the show, do us a favor and rate us and review us wherever you get podcasts. Hit that bell, subscribe on YouTube, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so that you'll get next week's episode on Monday morning. Share this episode with a friend if you found it interesting. As always, though, thanks for ta- making us a part of your day, and we'll talk to you again next week. And I'm proud to be
1: an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the man who died, who gave that right to who? Me. And I'll proudly stand up next to you and defend it. Ain't no doubt I love this land. Back me up. Love this land. God bless the U.S. (laughs) and no one else.